This is Radio to Inspire Enlightened Living. You're listening now to the Honest to God series with Anne Gail Rose and Ahanu. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to our show today, and what a show it will be. It is uh, a beautiful, hot, steamy day in San Diego, I have to say. And the weather just changed on us in the past week. Went from beautiful 80s with no humidity to almost 100 with humidity. And I'm fine. You know, I'm going to whine a little bit. I find it's very difficult to breathe. I find the air is, I don't know, hard. it's hard for me to breathe. So I was a bit crabby yesterday. And we, of course, we had to resort to turning on the air conditioning in the house and basically bunkering down because I didn't want to go out in this. But uh, it's time to go to Ireland, Ahano, when it's like this, isn't it? Indeed it is, Angel Rose, <laughs> absolutely. This is the great time in Ireland, actually, this time of the year, June, July, August, even to September, actually. The weather is always fantastic. But, you know, the thought struck me just then that perhaps you're in the wrong job. You know, you should be a weather person because you do, you do such a great job reporting on the weather every mo- every Saturday morning. And you really give people a, a feel of what's actually going on on the ground. It's fantastic. I'm saying like hot weather you shouldn't come here and of course my daughter is getting married next saturday my daughter janae my youngest and uh she's having it outdoors and she's having the whole thing outdoors actually up on a mountain surrounded by trees and for the reason uh so that she can ride her horse into her wedding okay with her wedding gown on this whole thing centers around the horse so we're going to be all boiling through the whole thing so that my daughter Janae can ride beauty down the aisle. I know. Uh, there's two things about that. The first thing, isn't that just real Californian? <laughs> isn't it? I mean, you wouldn't get it anywhere else. And secondly, it reminds me to say to our listeners that next Saturday, because we'll be at the wedding, it doesn't mean the show doesn't go on. It just means we will be doing a special on Marriage. <laughs> Actually, no, I think we have a guest next week, Ahano. No, we don't. Yes, we do. Yes, we oh, have. Maybe I've got we have Christian coming on talking about uh, the breath work. Ah, I've got my dates mixed No, up. no, you didn't get your dates wrong. I just stuck him in at the last minute. But we do have to tell our listeners one quick thing, that Ahanu is the minister who's going to be marrying my daughter. So that'll be wonderful. Right, Ahano? It's your That's first fun. wedding it's going to be as fun. a minister. I know, and I'm so looking forward to it. And I'm so glad also it's going to be one member of our family. So at least there might be some compassion or, or tenderness <laughs> or, or forgiveness if I, if I do something wrong. But it's really going to be fun, and I'm looking forward to that very, very much. All right, well, we have a special guest today. And our guest today is Jenny Rose. And she is a mom, and Ahana will go into talking about her in depth in a minute. But she will be talking with us today about suicide. Uh, she lost her son through suicide, and this is a very tender subject to many, many, many people. And it's a subject that I have been wanting to address for some time now. 
So we do anticipate a um, perhaps a very enlightening and also emotional show today. So, Ahano, do you want to continue with that? Well, what happened was how all of that started was we put out a request for people to contact us if they had a story to tell. And we got this reply and it said, I do have a story to tell. It's tragic and yet beautiful and, and inspiring at the same time. It's the loss of our son and how the whole universe seemed poised for this horrible event and sent us so much love and help for understanding. We couldn't resist. So in the weeks since that initial contact, we got some real insights into suicide and how a parent copes with the suicide of their child. But more about Jenny in a few moments. I'm going to just go back in time a little bit because we started the show speaking a little bit about Ireland and the tragedy of suicide really came to us when we were in Ireland the last time because the statistics were off the charts, weren't they, Angel Rose? They were really, really frightening. And it, I mean, you know, statistically, when something peaks like that, you've got to ask the question, what's going on? You know, is there something bigger going on? Is there some reason behind this? Is it economics? Is it our parenting? Is it the food? Is it solar flares? Is it you know, our schooling, our education system, what actually is it that would cause something to spike like that? And that really, really got us on a path of investigating this whole thing of suicide further and to see if we, in some way, can do something for people. And that is actually the reasoning behind us bringing this show today because we do hope and pray that by bringing Jenny Rose on today, it will benefit some parent, some place, somehow, or some member of the family with some kind of understanding and healing and forgiveness. Well, we do want to say, too, that it's not just young people. Those epidemics in Ireland were people of all ages. They weren't just teenagers or young people. They were adults. They were all ages. And um, really bizarre events, you know, from people saying how you know, there was nothing wrong with the person before that, and all of a sudden they just turned on a dime. So, you know, that's probably a rare case, but, you know, it, it is a strange phenomena. And I also uh, lost a partner to suicide before you, Ahano, and, um, you know, so I've been through that in a different way, not a child. But So let's just, let's continue now. Do we have any announcements beforehand? Yes, I do want to squeeze in this little announcement here because out of respect to our guest today, I don't want to break up the show in any way and have to make our little announcement. So let's just tell people that due to popular demand, and indeed we had several emails in this morning about it, people really want to know about the Akashic Records and how to read the Akashic Records. And not only that, but to find insights into life and themselves and their soul journey and their soul contract and perhaps even answers to questions like suicide uh, because in our questioning to the Akashic Records over the many, many weeks we have had lots of different statements from source about suicide and perhaps Angel Rose will just give us a mention, a quick mention about that training that she wants to do sometime in the fall. Yeah, I'm a bit behind on it, Ahano, as you know, with my second book uh, due also at the end of September. But I am working on it. I'm working on a course to learn how to read the records. And we will definitely announce that as soon as we can. But just also to mention, there is a whole chapter dedicated to suicide 
in my book, A Time of Change. And those are questions people did ask of sorts about suicide. So if anyone's interested um, in more detail, they could purchase the book from a timeofchange.info. Yeah, that's a time of change, all one word, dot I-N-F-O. And in fact, I might as well give out the other address of your forthcoming book too, because people can actually pre-order it. It's called The Nature of Reality, and they, that can be pre-ordered at the nature of reality, all one word, the nature of reality, dot I-N-F-O. And speaking of websites, let's give you the eight steps to freedom because that's available at eight steps to freedom.com. This time it's the number eight and all those words are hyphenated. So eight steps to freedom.com. Now, our free group Akashic Records are online every Sunday at 10 a.m. in the morning Pacific time. And this is something that is really growing and people are really, really appreciating. Basically what happens is we form a little group, a virtual group online. People dial into a number which will give you an, uh, an address which we'll give you in a moment. And they connect with the Akashic Records and Angel Rose speaks with Source and answers all these questions. And it's free for anybody and everybody to participate. So to find out more about that, go to worldofempowerment.com. That's also all one word, worldofempowerment.com. And all the transcripts from those sessions that we've done are being turned into ebooks and they're available on Amazon Kindle and they're also available for download on our websites at either angelrose.com or worldofempowerment.com. But if you were to search for Angel Rose or myself, Ahanu, let me spell both of those, Angel Rose is A-I-N-G-E-A-L-R-O-S-E, or myself, Ahanu, A-H-O-N-U, you will find us on the Amazon Kindle platform. And uh, in fact, you may indeed even find us on iTunes and the various other electronic formats out there. So get hold of those transcripts, get hold of those MP3s, and join us on the Sunday morning, 10 a.m. Pacific time. More details at worldofempowerment.com. All right, Ahanu, let's go ahead and bring on our guests. Right. We have a tiny little bio, actually, that I want to read because what we've found traditionally is that a lot of people are shy about saying something about themselves. And so I want to read Jenny Rose's little bio before she comes on. And in that way, we won't have to ask her to actually say things about herself because people are shy about saying things about themselves. She was born in Southern California in the early 1960s to a large, loud, rowdy family. And Jenny Rose became a peace advocate at a very young age. And then later, she worked for Alliance for Survival. And she shared her compassion for those affected by racism, war, pollution, and political and economic justice. She moved to Northern California and met her husband. And they raised two boys along the Eel River. Isn't that a wonderful name, actually, the Eel River? Uh, under the mighty Redwoods for 12 wonderful years, after which they moved to Oregon in 2001. And in 2007, their oldest son left for college and the younger son began to have some real problems. She says, Alongside what seems like an ordinary life, I have always been a person who could see what was unseen and hear what is not spoken by way of symbols, signs, dreams and gut feelings. I think we are all given messages like this. It's just that most people aren't paying attention. And sometimes 
you don't want to pay attention. When I started getting messages that our son Clay would kill himself, I did the same thing, and I said it was just my own fear, my imagination, my worst nightmare. Jenny Rose, you're very, very welcome. Well, thank you. Thank you for having me on the show today. Yeah, Jenny, this is obviously a a very emotional topic, but could you could you start? I'm going to let you start with where you'd like to start with this, perhaps maybe with the story of your son. You know, just just kind of take it from wherever you want to take it. Okay. Well, it is kind of a hard story to tell, but um, I really just felt like it was time to tell the story. And uh, I know it uh, It seems like such a sad story to tell, but there there are really amazing things that happened and went on, and um, so I wanted to share that. Um, what what kind of happened when our oldest son, Ben, left for college, our younger son just kind of started uh, freaking out a bit. You know, he didn't want to go to school, and um, he, you know, was talking about, could I go live with someone else? I don't want to live here. So we kind of got him calmed down and back in school, and uh, he really wanted to change schools. So we got back in his regular school for a while, and then we decided, okay, we'll let him try going to another school, which was kind of a hassle because it was, you know, quite a ways away. We live in a little town of only 4,200 people, and the next biggest town, uh, which has a lot of people, um, was 16 miles away. So we had to drive him to school and pick him up, and both of us, my husband and I, work over there. So anyway, there things did not go well because they put him back in regular classes, which he had a learning disability. And uh, he, was, he was a great kid, you know, wonderful sense of humor and great talent in, in a lot of things. He loved skateboarding and stuff like that. But uh, anyway, as the, this is like now November. And uh, when we let him change schools, and he met this girl who was a senior, he was like a sophomore, and uh, she had some of her own issues, you know. Anyway, then January rolled around, and he made uh, a suicide attempt in January. He had broke up with that girl by then, but... uh, so the first suicide attempt, then we were thrown into the realm of hospitals, doctors, counselors, uh, Prozac, they put him on. They whipped him away to a hospital uh, in Portland. We live in Oregon, so that's like, I don't know, 200 miles away maybe. And... Uh, took him up there for 10 days and we had to keep going back and forth up there during that time and when we got him back uh, he was having bad reactions to the Prozac it's absolutely lethargic 
and uh, we had the Amoxifros Act, which really no one told me what to do about that. So I took it to another doctor here who was a nutritionist and a um, psychiatrist, and then we we got him on some uh, natural stuff, enzymes and uh, vitamin B and something else, maybe like fish oil, I think, or something. And he started doing a lot better. He was doing much better. And then uh, it was about um, seven weeks later from when he got out of the hospital, and he just kind of turned. And he said, no, I don't want to take that stuff anymore. He wouldn't take any of it. Um, he turned... I mean, I, I made jokes, like, uh, he's gone back to the dark side, <laughs> you know. And, uh, anyway, then, um, it was Easter break when he actually killed himself. And that was that week. And how did he do that, And, Jenny? uh, he hung himself in his bedroom. Gosh. And let me ask you, do And we you... were home. Oh, you were home at the time? Yeah. And how did you... Uh, right under our nose. Just describe that to us. How, how did you discover him? Uh, well, we were having kind of a bad day. It turned, you know, it was progressing into a bad night. And uh, he uh, had gone in to go to bed. And, uh, you know... Yeah. Uh, he was actually um, trying to sleep in his closet, and he was upset, so I was just like, you know, okay, whatever, and um, I went back to check on him, and that's when I found him. Hey, um, going back a little bit, though, you know, how... How long do you think that he was actually suicidal? Uh, well, in hindsight, I think he was suicidal all the way back to uh, the end of summer, beginning of the school year. Yeah, and do you think it was just because his brother left, or what was really what was his complaint? I mean, why why would he say he didn't want to be here? Well, he. I mean, why would he want to kill himself? Yes. Well, because I didn't know this at the time. But after he killed himself, then his friends uh, told me that he, because the previous year when he was a freshman at high school, he got in trouble for smoking marijuana. And him and some kids had come home during lunch here to our house, smoked pot, went back to school. And the girl freaked out, and so then they found out they were smoking pot, whatever. He gets in all this trouble and had to go to a program called ADAPT, you know, a, a rehab kind of program for kids. And uh, apparently, you know, there's all kinds of drugs out there that these kids use, and especially when they're getting tested for something else. And so I didn't know this but he had been smoking 
salvia, which is a uh, variation of sage. It's a white sage, and it is from Mexico, Central America. Um, it's used by shamans, and there's a bunch of stuff on it on YouTube and whatnot. You can look it up and see what it does to them, and it's very powerful. Um, it doesn't have a long uh, high that they get, like a pot, you know, or something. It's, it's a quicker thing, but... Um, so anyway, he had been smoking the salvia stuff for, uh, eight, well, almost a year by the time he killed himself. And, uh, you know, he had had drug tests and they were clean because, uh, the drug tests that they do do not pick up every chemical in the body that's not supposed to be there or, or showing a sign that they're using some drugs. Mm-hmm. And so kids are out there, you know, doing so many horrible things for yes. drugs, huffing, you know, those compressed air cans and, you know, the other yeah. kids tell me about it all. Anyway, I think yeah. he had really fried his brain. Right, yeah. But, I mean, aside from those stimulants of various kinds, isn't there the real pressure of changing schools, all, all that emotional drama that goes on around that that's, that's really, really very pressuring oh, yeah. for young people? And as well as he that, yeah, yeah. Um, I, I'm not trying to look for excuses, but in terms of the the build up to it, you know, I, I I'm always trying to look at what can we do to prevent this without going into guilt around it, because, you know, I have to tell you that my own first child died uh, of supposedly natural causes, and he died on my birthday. He was only a baby, and oh. but but the abiding thing that happened to me for years afterwards was the guilt that what could I have done? How come I didn't see this? You know, wh- did I take him into a smoky place? Did I expose him to this food or that food? You know, all these questions that you ask yourself, you know, I'm sure you went through the same thing. And did did you feel that there was something else that you could have done or that you, you should not have done? Was there anything like that that you went through? Oh, sure. I mean, that went on for months, uh, probably years, that, you know, you just go over it, over it, over it, over it, looking for clues, what, uh, you know, could have been different. And, uh, you know, I had one dream one time about uh, some lady was furious at me because her son was either injured or killed or something because of something I said. And, uh, I was like, how, how could that, you know, how could you possibly blame me? And so that really helped me with my own guilt because it's so much of a web, you know, if you look at how many people you know and how many people affect you. And so it, it's, uh, we're all connected and we're all, uh, in it together, you know. One thing here, one thing there. It, it's a, it's 
I can't explain it any better. Jenny, um, so why do you think you were given messages that your son was going to kill himself? Yeah, I had a lot of, uh, you know, dreams. I would wake up from a dream. Oh, no, you know, something's going to happen. And I I really am not sure why I was given the messages, but my my gut feeling is that um, it was for preparedness, you know. I think I could have done something different um, that might have prolonged his life a little bit, but in some regards, I think that um, this is what he would come in here to do. Do you think? And do you think it was the um, the marijuana and the other the sage smoke? Do you think that that changed him, or did you see like signs of that in his character before that? Well, you know, he was a kid with a learning disability. So you've got a lot of, um, you know, miscommunication and things like that because his um, diagnosis was uh, audio processing disorder. So uh, he would, like, not get instructions, things like that. So he would he explained it as, I hear what people say, but then when it gets to my head, it's mixed up. Yes, yeah. So... You know, I, I, he had a lot of trouble in school, but he was yeah. very well liked, um, very popular kid with all kinds of different people. And, uh, he did not get along well with teachers. You know, he did not like authority. Um, but he was a good natured kid. He didn't get in trouble for fighting or things like that. You know, mm-hmm. it was just mostly school. And what about? Stuff. You you mentioned uh, the fact that the doctor prescribed Prozac and then you changed to a more natural solution and he seemed to like that better, but then he gave it up. In terms of the prescription drugs, did you feel that brought him down or did it stabilize him? Um, it mellowed him out, but it was like he was just lethargic. He couldn't get out of bed hardly. Right. He couldn't do anything, so... Yeah. And he also had side effects of uh, earache and something else, too. I can't remember. So being but, suicidal um, is also a side effect of those drugs, too. Yes. Yes, it is. And I wasn't uh, too thrilled with them putting him on Prozac, but they insisted it was a low dose and much more studies had been done about Prozac and this and that. Should they say the same yeah, thing about okay. they say the same thing about all kinds of chemicals that they want to put into our bodies, don't they? And let me ask mm-hmm. you about the those those hours of you discovering him. Did he did he actually leave any message for you or for others, or was there anything that indicated that uh, you know his own reasons? Um, the only thing he did not leave a suicide note, and the only thing I found um, was much later. I had overlooked it from, for a month. But it was a little piece of paper taped up by the head of his bed. 
And I thought it was just like song titles or something he was working on. But um, the the fact that he put it up by the head of his bed, I think, is, is for one, very symbolic. Um, and it just had five things on it. And it was Bye Bye Balloon, Off Road. Say and that again. I'm going to forget. I'm sorry, say that again, Jenny. The, okay, the first thing on his little list was Bye Bye Balloon. Yes. The second thing was off-road. Off-road, yeah. I'm going okay. to take the regular road, going off-road, taking yes. the, the other route. Yeah. The third thing was uh, free-for-all. Free-for-all. Okay. Free-for-all. Yeah. The fourth thing was joint venture. Joint venture. Okay. And the last thing was vitamin D. Vitamin B. Which and I think means, you know, kind of like a good try, Mom. Almost worked. <laughs> oh, right. So do you think, he, do you think they're all connected in, in terms of him trying each of these things? Is that what you feel it meant? I feel that that is his interpretation of a suicide note. Right, Those right. five things that he left. Yeah. They're little symbolic messages, each yes. one of them. Yes. And, uh, Jenny, how long ago was this? When he killed himself? Yeah, how long has he that been? That was March, March of 2008. March of 2008, okay. And Jenny, I mentioned that in Ireland there was a spike, and in fact it's actually continuing still to this day, of suicides starting from around 2006 and continuing through to this day. Do you do you think that perhaps this was not just your son, that there's something else bigger going on? I, I mean, I don't expect you or anybody to have the exact answer to that, but in, in terms of your, your under, general understanding or your, your guidance, do, do you think that he was affected by something outside of himself or something something planetary? I think that our our uh, society today, all over the world, you know, is um, not in line with our spirit. You know, I think that we are um, not allowed to sing our song and dance our dance. You know, and 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 uh, spiritually, people are in a crisis inside, you know, and they're looking for answers and they're um, sometimes just unbearable to to live it, their life here because it is not, um, you know, like they're uh, alien in a natural world. Yeah, we don't yeah. live, we don't live a natural life. That is... That is true, and you know you're you're describing with your son um, a typical indigo child. I don't know if you're aware of that, but oftentimes, you know, there are types of indigos that are, you know, hypersensitive. They they do suffer from 
learning disorders. In fact, I'm sure that if they had those tests when I went to school, I'd be considered a learning disabled person or attention deficit or something, do you know? But right. because, but for me, you know, you mentioned how your son didn't like school. Um, none of my children did either, especially my own son. And by the way, my own son's name is Clayton. And, um, yeah, so he he left school when he was 16. Uh, he had trouble with the authority stuff. Um, he's a pot smoker. You know, there are similarities there. But um, yeah, I know I didn't like school either. I found it very difficult to sit still to learn the things that they were learning. And, you know, even today I'm a real advocate for free schools. That, that there's only a couple in the whole world that I know of. But, you know, where children can actually choose their subjects and, um, you know, explore their creativity without being forced to sit in, sit in a desk for eight hours and learn subjects they're not interested in. So, you know, you, you do describe a child that is uh, symptomatic of an indigo who finds it very difficult to fit into this world. So... Right. You know, and I'll, I'll just, um, yeah, so I guess you have here, one thing you would like to cover is what was your biggest concern regarding your son after he died? Well, my biggest problem was, um, my biggest concern, you know, when you have a kid that going through stuff like that, you just worry about them every day. And so I was like, oh my God, he is going to be freaking out. He is not going to know where the hell he is, and he is going to go, what the hell happened? And he's going to just be freaking out wherever he is. And then the calls started, a known name, a known caller on the landline. And I know it was him, and I'm going to be like, Clay, I cannot come and pick you up. You know, he was 15, so he's, that was normal. Mom, can you come pick me up? I'm over at blah, blah. And here I knew that was him calling and saying, trying to get me to come pick him up. Clay, I cannot get you. He died, you know. So it was so hard, and uh, I was just worried sick that he was freaking out wherever he was. And so the calling thing went on, off and on for quite a while. And I actually, you know, then had left for college. Here, my younger boy had killed himself. So I, you know, am just left with no kids. And so I actually went back to work in like two weeks after he was gone because I didn't have anything to do else. Yes. You know, so aside from that, uh, you know, we went on for a little bit and then it was single. De- well, actually, I have to tell you about the dream first. Shortly after he died, I had an amazing dream. Now, in the dream, it's a beautiful spring day and I am taking a little journey up the hilly road in the country. And I'm sitting on a love seat that rides along this, a little trolley on the side of the road facing the street. 
And it's, I'm just sitting there having a great time, enjoying my day all by myself. And I finally realized, hey, there's no one else on this road. What's going on? And then, just then, I see in the shadows on the dark side over there, a person is walking down the street. And uh, I can't tell who it is, but I'm thinking, I wonder if I know them. But they just have on, like, jeans and a sweatshirt with the hood pulled up. And they never look my direction or anything. Well, then, you know, they're going down. I'm going up. So we've passed each other. And then, bam, my little love seat ride is over. I've thrown out of it. It's broken. And I'm like, well, that's it. I'm going to have to finish the journey on foot. So I'm trudging up the hill. And when I get to the peak of it, there's beautiful vista. And just to the side of me is this lovely four-pillared gazebo with a fountain in the middle. And um, there at the fountain is uh, Clay, who's about three, and another niece of mine, Felicia. And so we're like, oh, my God, you're here. You know, we're so happy and talking and everything. And uh, just down below from that gazebo was this big square pool that was very shallow, just a couple of inches of water in it. And so Clay kind of tugged on my shirt and asked if he could go sit, you know, with his feet in the pool. And I said, sure. And I watched him, you know, go down the little steps to it and, me and Talisha were still talking at the fountain, and when I glanced back down um, at him, his reflection was filling up that whole rectangle of water. Wow. You know, and uh, he was just huge, and I was like, hey, look at the water. Look at yourself in the water. Mm-hmm. And so he kept looking at the water and looked back at me and looked at the water, and I realized that from where he was sitting, he couldn't see it. So I said, oh, you got to come up here to see it. And then I was like, oh, no, that's not going to work. Because mm-hmm, yes. if he comes up here, he's not there to make the reflection. Sure, yeah. So I had him come up to the fountain, and then I sent Felicia down. I said, well, look at Felicia. But it was very disappointing. It was not the same as him seeing himself like that. Yes. And so that dream was very, you know, revealing. That sounds beautiful, yes. And that must have given you a lot of comfort. Yes, it did. It did a lot. It's interesting. um, Yeah, go ahead. So I have a comment to make about the reflective water in a minute, but go ahead. No, you go ahead and say, and then I'll go on. Well, it was, um, you know, I told you that I lost a partner myself through suicide, and... um, you know, after he died, he shot himself. And after he died, there, I watched, I got lots of messages from him as well, but there was a, t- a point in time, probably I'd say, I don't know, three months after his death, where I saw him and he was actually in a place of spirit that they called the, the plane of reflection. And it was a place where people who committed suicide did have to spend some time. And for him, he was sitting down like in a lotus position as if he was meditating, looking over this huge body of water, okay? 
but it was it was like for him to kind of just sit and have time to just reflect on on all kinds of things so you made me think of that when you said your son was looking at his reflection in the water so go ahead <laughs> yeah well um another thing that happened early on was um after his death was my sister-in-law had wanted to get me a book i had gotten lots of books from people about grieving and and uh, mostly about grieving and so anyway she wanted to get me a book and uh she wound up getting me and she went to the used bookstore and she was only in there about 5 minutes and her sister wanted to go so the only book she had in her hand was George Anderson's um Garden of Souls book and George Anderson is a um psychic that talks to people on the other side and so it it was a book about um, that, you know, what happens on the other side. And uh, so she had given me that book. And um, it was the most comforting of all the books I had received that I had read so far. And um, um, in that book, George Anderson um, says that people who commit suicide have to go to, um, like, a nature place is where they often first um, go because they have to um, chill out, so to speak, and uh, often they just send animals in to be with them, not not other being spirits. So um, anyway, I thought, you know, it was so comforting to me, um, just that idea, oh, that would be good. I would love that. Oh, good. Yeah. <laughs> and so I had read that whole book a couple of times uh, by, uh, it was May 5th, Cinco de Mayo, and um, I was having a horrible day. I thought our dog was dying, and I called in sick to work. So that's what, uh, about six weeks after his death, um, and the uh, phone started ringing. I was home alone. Unknown name, unknown caller, unknown name, unknown caller, just over and over and over. Can you explain so that? I, Did you ever get an explanation for those calls? Nope. Yeah. And would that no, lead No, but you... they kind of... Yeah, I'm what? wondering about that, though, Jenny. Yeah, no, I, I understand that you would believe it was him. But in terms of somebody trying to come to an understanding of the spirit world and, and our reason for being here on planet Earth and trying to just piece the whole thing together... What do you think is actually happening when phenomena like that happens? Do you know, is that to help you bridge the gap between the physical and the spiritual? Is it to help you to, you know, reconcile the grief? Or what would be the reasoning behind it? Well, uh, when it was happening that day, I mean, that much, it had never rung that many times. You know, I mean, it was probably 11 in the morning and I had already done it 20 times. So I was like, um, someone is trying to tell me something. What, what are they trying to tell me? Yes. You know, I didn't know for sure if it was clay or not clay. So I just started thinking and I was like, what, what am I supposed to do? What have I, have I been procrastinating on something? And bang, as soon as I said that, 
I knew that I had been procrastinating to go to the George Anderson website because I kept reading that book and on at the end of it, it talks about the George Anderson website. Or it was on the back cover. And so I was like, well, fine, maybe that's it. I'll go look. Now, I went to the website, I pulled it up, and it has a list of things uh, you could go to, read about. And the first one I saw was Afterlife Encounters. I clicked on that, and I began to read a story. And within the first two sentences of that story, I knew that story was about my own very best friend, Bonnie, who had died two years almost exactly earlier than Clay. Now, tears are just streaming down my face. I'm shaking from head to toe. How is that possible? How is that possible that I go on the George Anderson website and there's a story about my friend who died and the story is about, it was written by her boyfriend, Al, who I didn't get to know too well before we had moved away because they were from back in California. And um, it told how he had a dream about her, and she came and took him to the other side so he could see what she did. And what she did on the other side was help children cross over. Now I might start crying <laughs> as I tell it. But um, he said uh, that she took him to, like, a village. And there was all kinds of kids running around. And um, I could read you the whole thing. I actually have it printed out right here. But um, the gist of it was uh, that that's what she did. That was her job on the other side. And uh, he said there was all the kids had balloons. And uh, they kept running around and popping the balloon. Wow. He wanted He wanted a balloon, too. And she said, no. The balloons are not for you. You can't have a balloon. Yes. Jenny. And so I was just blown away. How how could that be? So I looked up Al and gave him a call. And the story from Al even gets more weird because, for one thing, I asked him when he wrote it, you know, and he had written it back in, I think he said, December. And he had gotten a call just a few weeks before from the George Anderson people asking if they could use his story on the website. And he said, sure. So timing-wise, you know, uh, it seems miraculous that I went to it and found yes. it because it wasn't even there many more days. I think the next week it was pulled off. Right. Jenny and also the story... Let, let me ask you, Jenny, let me ask you to hold that thought just for a moment because we do need to take a very, very quick little studio break here and to remind our listeners that you're listening to the Honest to God series with Angel Rose Anna Hanu and our special guest today is Jenny Rose who is speaking to us on the topic of her son Clay's suicide. And Jenny, if you want to give out a contact details there quick before we go into this break can can people call you or can they email you or can they connect with you in some way if they need some support or help or guidance around suicide um sure uh my email is jenny jenny who 
and that's J-E-N-N-Y, twice, who, W-H-O, at live.com. Okay. I'd like to talk to you when we come back after this quick break about the effect on his father. And because I, I myself, I know, but I want to cover that subject because uh, I wrote a little booklet one time called A Father's Grief because I really felt that women in some way had a far greater capacity to cope with death in all its forms than men did. And I'd really like to hear from you how uh, Clay's father actually coped with all of this. But let's take this quick break. We'll be right back after this. This is the Art of Living Well Radio Network. Radio to inspire enlightened living. The Honest to God series with Anne Gail Rose and Ahanu. Well, welcome back, everybody, from our short little break there. And we have Jenny Rose today as our wonderful, courageous guest talking about the suicide of her youngest son, Clay, in 2008. And she was, before the break, she was talking to us about the uh, messages that were starting to come through and her encounter with a gentleman whose wife had crossed over and who was helping children on the other side. And I know, I think I know where this is going, but Jenny, do finish this wonderful synchronistic story that you began before the break. Okay. Um, well, the, the rest of the story from Al, my good friend Bonnie's uh, boyfriend, who had written to George Anderson and all that, was um, that he had had an encounter with a psychic man there in uh, Garberville, where he used to live. And what happened was he was walking down the street in Garberville, and this man saw Bonnie trailing behind him, her spirit. So he contacted Al, who works at a radio station there, and... uh, uh, told him, you know, uh, there's a woman that's, you know, a spirit following you around. And, uh, so it was her body. And then this man, uh, was from India and he was going back to India to get treatment for his cancer. He was dying. And apparently, um, Bonnie and him formed some kind of contact and relationship because Bonnie um, was going to help him cross over as well. And so Al, when I called him to ask him about the story, said that he had gotten several emails from this man in India. And he called Bonnie, uh, my love, you're lovely, the Al. So the email said, they tell me your lovely had to go away for a while due to the unnatural death of a young man. And that's the one that always sticks in my head. And uh, there was a couple of other emails. One he couldn't find and the other one he read to me, but it was it was similar, you know. Your lovely is still gone, helping this young man, blah, blah, blah. Yes. So here, halfway across the world, this man in India, uh, 
gets a message from the other side also that Bonnie had to go help my son. You know, that was just mm-hmm. amazing. Yes. And so... That's awesome. Anyway, also... Go ahead. That was, uh, I think, that was the end of my own Then it was only three days later when I received an email from um, one of Clay's friends, mom, my friend Shaleen, um, and she had, they had moved to Grand Pass, uh, pretty far away from us in, uh, the summer before Clay died. And, uh, they had come back for his service and, and I think one other time since that, and I had given, I gave all the kids, his friends, things and pictures of him and some of his, you know, beloved things and, so anyway, um, Celine had a picture of Clay sitting on her desk at work. And she was like a uh, central receptionist for several other businesses, different businesses. And uh, one of the ladies that worked in her building um, gave her a message. She said that uh, Donna took Clay's picture, asked for to borrow the picture off her desk and took it to her office and came back and handed her basically a message from Clay. And uh, if you don't mind, I would like to read that one because... Um, sure, go ahead. Is a okay. And this is what the message was. Tell them I am free. I feel no pain and I am at peace in spirit. I understand more here, and they are showing me many things. I'm not afraid. Don't be afraid for me. And I was really afraid for him. Yes. I did what I did out of frustration. I felt like nobody understood me. Nobody really cared. They said they did, but they couldn't feel what I was feeling. They didn't know what I was thinking. Nobody could. I felt so alone. I felt so helpless. I felt like my life had no meaning, like I didn't fit in anywhere. I knew if I could ease myself from everyone's memory, I could escape, and it would be as if I never really existed. I'm being shown that my thinking was influenced by my emotional pain. This was my pain taking action. The real me was what everyone else saw and experienced. I am learning with others like me how our choice is made without guidelines. I see now that I was spiraling down and I felt I didn't have a choice. Now I know that we always have a choice. Being in spirit form is showing me this. I want everyone to know how much love I can feel from them. It is so comforting to me. I have integrated into my spirit body quickly because that is what I long for. This choice I made so that not only I could learn, but we each made a spiritual agreement to learn from others. The way I chose was a part of acceleration. I could have chosen accidents like my friend, but the teaching not have been as in-depth as a closure as the one I chose. To my dearest friends, by connection as brothers, 
we will stay strong. So as you grow and learn in the physical, I grow with you in the spiritual. Our bond will continue throughout your earthly lifetime. Together, we will always be until your physical body will release you. And I will be waiting in spirit for you. And we will be together in my home. To my mother, I come to comfort you often. Your heart is strong. Release your guilt. It is unnecessary. You are awesome, Mom, and don't worry about that. I visit him while he is in the dream state. He might not remember, but he knows deep down I am okay, and what happened was something we agreed to, and we can move forward with the next phase of our journey. To all who are saddened, remember that I am at peace. I'm always close, and when you think of me, know I am with you. We can talk together. I am just not in physical form. Take me boarding with you. Invite me, for I am a huge part of your life. And that's the end. And there were certain uh, phrases and words that um, Donna said he insisted that she use those exact words, the little parentheses, because they were things he used to say or words he used a lot. And uh, I think that and, is um, absolutely so that, that was absolutely incredibly beautiful. And I I think it's so important, um, you know, in in awesome the way spirit works like that to bring messages forward to you and to people on the earth. And I think more than that, too, Jenny, is you really do get the sense that there's no judgment around suicide. You know, there's so many stories, religious, religious stories about people who commit suicide go to hell and all that nonsense. And that definitely right. definitely has not been my experience of my partner who committed suicide. You know, we've gotten many messages from him, and uh, he's certainly not in hell, you know. Um, so, right. so I think that's the message you just read is so beautiful because it basically says, you know, really everybody gets a chance to be, you know, in spirit. They get a chance to look at the result of their choices. They get to see and overlook everything. And it's not any different for a person who dies, like your son just said, you know, I could have chosen an accident. I could have done something else. I mean, really, when you think about death, we all ultimately kill ourselves in the end, one way or the other, you know? So, it's, Right, exactly. Yeah, it's just that when we hear about something like this, it seems it seems so tragic because it seems um, so so against the life principle per se. But I can tell you too, with my own partner, that he did suffer. He he was a lot like um, he was he was thirty three years old when he when he died, and he died I think in two thousand eight as well. Or no, 2006. But, you know, the guy was tormented. And it was the same type of thing where, you know, he didn't fit in. He didn't know how to make his way in the world. He went back and forth into um, bipolar depressions. And, you know, 
it's interesting the runners that come afterwards because at the time we lived out in the middle of nowhere in the desert of New Mexico and um it's kind of a bittersweet place if if you will but a fella who right. who I had only met once who lived across the road came over to me uh that week after he heard about um Jay's Jay dying and he and I we had this long talk and he started to share with me that he had attempted suicide twice in his life and both times you know somebody found him in time and he was really angry and um he's he you know in his life now was on antidepressants and all sorts and so I asked him I said well tell me you know when you're when you're attempting suicide like what are you thinking and he goes, you know what you're thinking? You're thinking that you don't know, uh, what's going to happen to you. You, you don't know. You just, you just want it to be different. So it's like, it isn't like you have a, an idea of, wow, I'm going to this great place. You really don't know. You just want it to be different. And that made so much sense to me. Do you know? <laughs> Cause like, yeah. Like I know even with Jay, it was like he just wanted out of this physical world. It was a struggle for him. And he came, uh, he actually came through a friend of mine three days later. A, a friend of mine that I hadn't spoke to in some years called me up because he had heard. And while we were having the conversation, Jay actually came through him. And an hour and a half later, he was, you know, telling me where he went when he died and blah blah and he you know at that time I was still quite angry and um and that's one thing I want to ask you too if you experienced anger through this process but the thing is is you know when he shot himself I had a little bit of time there while I called the police and everything he didn't you know he wasn't dead right away and you know part of me thought as I ran to call the police part of me thought do I even want him to live now? You know, now that he shot himself in the head, you know, what would he be like if he did live? And um, it's bittersweet because one part of you knows that they are happy now, that they are out of this hell that they were living in here. And, and yet the other part of you is mad that they couldn't overcome their challenges better. But, um, or, you know, what would have been the other answer? And, you know, I certainly went back to our cabin two different times um, just to kind of reflect myself, you know, about the whole thing. But never, never did I, and you mentioned nature, and, you know, my first dreams of, of my partner were that he was in the woods. And um, uh-huh. that's for the longest time, every time I dreamt of him, he was in the woods. <laughs> so it's funny that you mentioned that man said that they're around nature quite a bit because that would be how I saw him. So... It's right. it, it's interesting, but I think really the point that I'm making, and certainly we're not encouraging anyone to take their own life, but the truth yeah. is, the truth is, is there is no judgment in suicide that, you know, people who commit suicide um, go through a life review just like everybody else who dies, and they have to look at mm-hmm. look at their choices, and they're shown what they could have chosen differently. And how it could have been better or different. I mean, everybody goes through that. So, anyway, I think Ahana wants to say something here. Yeah, I'd really like to address the issue of how your Clay's father coped with all of this. Uh, I know you did mention in that beautiful piece that you read out that 
uh, clay was coming to him in his dreams but in a, in a practical way in a 3d day-to-day -day way how did your husband cope with all of that well um initially we started um actually seeing his clay's counselor me and larry went together a couple times to see him and that was uh, a little helpful for me, not as much for Larry. But um, then we found a um, our hospice uh, center had a suicide survivors group. And it was a, a very small group of um, people. Um, there might have been like eight of us when me and Larry first started going. And that was very, very helpful for, for Larry and, and me as well. It was a really nice group. Um, they all knew each other and welcomed us in. And um, we had all lost uh, children. Um, some were adult children, you know, but um, I think that was the most helpful for Larry. Um, and uh, and having each other, you know, and um, and the anger, um, you know, question. Um, we did not do. You did. I did. You did. Crap. There was no blame. Know? No blame. Yeah. Yeah. We didn't play the blame blame game, even on doctors and counselors and whatnot, you know, you're just in so much shock in the beginning anyway, yes. you know, and then as that wears off, you know, I was a little angry at Clay, too, I must say, I, I like tore his room apart, top right. and bottom, just digging, looking for a clue, looking for anything, you yes. know, and uh, there was nothing really, you know. And uh, and just uh, I I could have blamed Prozac and the doctors who put him on that. I could have blamed the hospital. I could have blamed his, his counselor. The day he killed himself, the night he killed himself, I had called several times in the day trying to get his counselor to call me back. You know, and then he had an appointment the next day, so I have to call and tell them. You know, and I was crying. I I really didn't want Steve to feel bad. I knew he was going to feel bad. His counselor. You know, mm -hmm. I was so upset to have to tell him. You you mentioned earlier about the choice that, you know, Clay had a choice and that everybody has a choice. And it seems from what you're saying that both Larry and yourself made a choice, too, on how you were going to handle the aftermath of this. And from what you're saying is that you, you choose to see the bigger picture. Am I right in saying that, that that's what helped you? Even though you did feel the anger and you did go through those right. that array of emotions, you, you were also always at choice around it. Yes. I mean, I think with anything in life, uh, how we respond to what's going on around us is really the only choice we do have, you know? And, and the perspective that we choose to see of each think part that of it, our lives. I do, I do think anger is a, 
a natural part. I certainly went through a lot of anger, even even though I was getting messages from Jay, and he'd appear as a hawk. Well, he took on the form of a hawk, and he uh, his mother noticed it, and I noticed it. Um, but I certainly have heard, I have another friend whose mom passed away, and she started getting the phone calls after after that, the same thing. No, no caller ID, nobody on the other end, and she always knew it was her mom. But I know with right. Jay, I know with Jay that I um. I mean, years later, there's even times now when I think of the whole thing. You know, I on one level you understand it because you you know what the person was going through while they were here, and on the other part, you're like, you ass, you know. <laughs> so, yeah. So I, I, you know, it is very very bittersweet, and you know, I'm somebody too because I, I have lost a lot of people in my life. Not from suicide, but from other unusual, uh, sudden tragic things. And, you know, I just think that in Ahanu, you know, he has his own question for wanting to know why your husband, how your husband handled that. Because years later, I think his son would be 27 now or something like that. Uh, you know, I think grief is just something that is, is there for, it can be there for the rest of your life in varying degrees, and it pops up when you least expect it. And and I think our society right. is really unrealistic when they think that, okay, it's been two or three months, now get yourself back on track and get back to your life and, you know, get over it already. And I just think that is so, so unrealistic. There's such a wide variety of emotions that accompany a, pers- yeah. a person's death. And, and I think that anybody who tells you that, you know, any emotion that you feel is somehow unnatural or you should be over it, you know, needs their hemd examined, in my opinion. <laughs> so yeah. Everybody grieves differently. From anger to sadness to, you know, depression. Well, what I found... In, and I know everybody's circumstances are different, and I don't want to come across at all that that they're the same. They're not. But there are some commonalities throughout all grief. I mean, grief is grief no matter what way you look at it, and pain is pain. And what I did in my situation, Jenny, was I journaled about it. I wrote it all down. And in doing so, I, you know, I didn't know why I was doing it. I just needed to... It seems that putting it down on paper was a help in terms of releasing it. Now, I know that was a different way of doing it than most men, because most most men might go, let's call it the macho route, and you know, break up things and box people around and you know, crush and destroy, or hold it all in. And this is something that I choose to look at by way of writing a book called the reincarnation of columbus and i'm actually publishing that book on the 12th of october which is the anniversary of the birth of my son because his name was columbus and he was born on the day columbus discovered america but it it was a book about a a man's pain really and it's a, a true story about how a man struggles with grief and guilt and coming to terms with loss and the reason I wrote it is because most men, I do feel, bottle up their feelings in, in some way. And men must relearn, and I say relearn purposely, relearn to cry. And uh, the old male approach to grief, you know, must finish it. It's got to stop. And uh, 
So I, I wrote that and it's been published on the 12th of October this coming year. And um, I hope that that will go some way to healing that that sense of mediocrity, the malaise, the, the buried pain, you know, the, the stuff that went unforgiven or unsaid and, and hidden, that hidden hurt that's in fathers and in mothers and all those that are left behind after the death of a loved one. But it's why I commend you for coming on the radio and talking about it too, because it is the kind of thing that a lot of people feel it's their own pain and they must take it to, the, to their own grave with them. But in sharing it, you are actually helping others to see those similarities and to, to feel the courage and the bravery that you have demonstrated by speaking about it and looking at it in the way that you have looked at it. And I think it's absolutely wonderful and I really, really want to commend you. And I'd love for people to be able to uh, contact you if they need to. And uh, let me give out that email address again because you did say people can contact you at Jenny Jenny Who, W-H-O, Jenny Jenny Who at live.com. And that would be important too for people where suicide or death in all its forms is fresh in their minds and they need comfort. Yeah, Jenny, were there any other messages that happened afterwards? Well, as a matter of fact, um, when uh, I got a call from high school um, the year that Clay would have graduated here in uh, Coquille, and um, they said, you know, uh, freshman year, all the kids did this uh, time capsule letter that they weren't going to get until they graduated. And uh, we have plays, and would you like it? So I went down and picked it up, and um, it was a beautiful letter that he had wrote about his three best friends, Guy, who he called his brothers. And um, it was just awesome for those boys to get that message from him. It was about what each one meant to him and what he learned from them. And uh, so I made a copy of it for each of them. I had to read it to some of them. They couldn't even read it themselves. Yeah. And how, yeah. And how are you now, Jenny? 2008. So, yeah, tell us, tell us about your life now and how you've, how you look at this whole event now and, you know, just give us a, a, a summary. Um, I have to say that it changed my life, you know, um, not all for the bad, you know, in many ways. My life has, um, I've made huge leaps and bounds in uh, my own personal growth. Um, I, I had heard about something called NLP, Neuro Linguistic Programming, and I went and took a year course in that. It was amazing, you know. I went on a spiritual quest, which I think I've always been on, you know, but after Clay's death, that just, you know, absolutely accelerated. Um, my husband and I, statistically, couples after a suicide usually break up, and 
I think our relationship is unbreakable. You know, I think uh, uh, we were all meant to be together for us, our family. Um, one thing Clay gave me to my last Christmas gift from him. This is a message too, a symbolic message. Uh, was a tin uh, poster of the Wizard of Oz, and there's four people, you know. They're on the path on the yellow brick road. Yes. And uh, Dorothy, the scarecrow, the lion, and, and the tin man. Over the rainbow. And I looked at that, you know, yeah, a few months after he had died. And I was like, well, that's odd, you know, because there's four of them and there was four of us. And who would be who, you know, I was trying to pick out, you know. Yeah. Well, Larry would be so-and-so and Ben would be this person. I always picked myself as Dorothy at the beginning, but later I realized I am not Dorothy. Clay is the one who wanted to go home. Yes. Yes. They're very interesting. You know? Yeah. But you know, I, I think what, and I, I do want you to finish telling me, but I just want to make a comment that I, I do think too that we all need to re, reaffirm that there is a home. You know, I think so many people have a hard time completely trusting that there is a life after. And I think everything you've shared today affirms that there, life does go on, your spirit does live on, and it's still conscious, and it still communicates with you. It just doesn't have a physical form. And, um, in fact, I remember back, you know, when I was studying the Course in Miracles, Ken Wapnick, who often gives talks on that, said, you know, that if we were in our right minds, we'd be able to communicate with, you know, people who've crossed over just very naturally, just like we do now today with other people, if our minds were really healed. And and I think that's a really important statement. It It is, you know. And I do talk to Clay all the time. He's not here, but I still talk to him. And uh, I was pretty worried about the show, doing the show, you know. And I could he- just feel him. I feel what, you know, I don't really hear words. But I feel them is how I would describe it. And so I could just feel him in the back of my mind saying, Mom, just tell the story. Yeah, <laughs> tell the story. Tell the story. Yes. <laughs> it's a fantastic story. And we hear him. I'm sure he's here with us today anyway, but... Listening in. Oh, yeah. Yes. Okay. So in the last few minutes and, uh, that we have, Jenny, do, do you want to, what would you say to someone who has lost a, a child or a partner or a family member to suicide? What would be your, your, your advice? Um, the guilt, you know, it's the hardest part. The guilt and going over you know, what you could have done differently and all that is, is, uh, I think the biggest, uh, problem, you know, that we have to deal with when we lose someone to suicide. And, uh, I would just have to say, um, you know, we're all responsible, uh, for ourselves. And even when it's a child, you know, um, 
you don't know what their mission was here. And, you know, uh, as far as like with Clay, I just think, um, I'm, I'm so honored to have had you for as long as I had you, you know, in my life. And, and that's the important part. And the, and to let the guilt go however you can, you know, is, is the most helpful. I understand that guilt too because I went through it myself for a long time you know what did I miss I kept mm-hmm. saying what did I miss what did I miss you know and and even um, my partner's dad you know I could feel him projecting a little bit of blame onto me like well you were there with him why didn't you you know why didn't you do something you know and the thing is, is I, I right. did do something. I did everything I knew how to do at the time. But, you know, I think because it's a sudden act, I mean, even if you have a feeling that this, even if you know the person's suicidal, I mean, it did, it did wake me up to learn more. I mean, I got a lot of books afterwards on depression because I thought, you know, when I went back to that cabin and I reviewed it from a different perspective, I could see that, you know, even though this was a monthly occurrence with Jay, he'd slump into this depression and he'd come out of it three three days later or whatever. I just figured it was another mood, you know, another episode and he'd come out of it. Right. I, I never expected that he was going to do what he did only because he was my friend for eight years before we were together and he was often suicidal throughout his life. But he had made a comment that he, he knew that wasn't the way to go, and so I I'd never thought there was a danger. But when I went back there, I realized that I was in my own little um, thought processes about our relationship and what was happening. And, you know, I, I there were things I missed. But having said that, having said that, I also do think that sometimes when people make up their minds that they just want out of here, that, you know, nothing anybody says is going to change their mind. Sometimes they just want out, and that's just the way it is. And, you know, according to the questions we've brought to God's source about this, everybody does have a right. Just like you say, we're all responsible for our choices. And in the end, you know, you're in relationship with yourself. And in your own soul. And, you know, I also had to learn to um, respect somebody's death choices because I lost my sister uh, some years back also. She didn't commit suicide, but all of a sudden she came down with this autoimmune disease and she died within six months. And what, what I realized afterwards was, in a way, it sounded cruel, but you know, she told me that her death was none of my business. <laughs> And but it made a good yeah. it made a good point though because it was really saying that a person's death is such an intimate thing, it's such an intimate relationship mm-hmm. with themselves and their spirit, and yes, we're the ones who are left wanting at the end. But I think in conclusion today too, what we can reassure everyone is that everybody is loved by Source. You know, Source's only intention, from what I've seen is to show people how much they're loved, uh, no matter what happens. You know, ultimately, that's always the goal is, how can I show you that you're loved? 
Do you need another lifetime? Do you need another, you know, do you need healing? What do you need? Um, because in the end, that's really where you end up. You end up in that field of love. So anyway, it's a, it's a very good right. affirmation to hear that you, we do get messages from our friends on the other side for people. Uh, there is no judgment. And having said that, we're, we're certainly not encouraging suicide, but you know, because the truth is, is any challenge that you don't overcome sooner or later, you'll have to overcome it somewhere. But, um, right. anyway, Ahano, did you want to say anything? We do, do appreciate you being here today, Jenny. It takes a lot of courage and it's a conversation we've been wanting to have on this show for a long time. So thank you for, uh, being the one who picked up the ball and thank you, Clay, for prompting you to do so. Yeah, and by way of... Yes, thank you. You're very, very welcome indeed. I I feel the height of admiration for you, Jenny, and we we are so appreciative, and I know our audience will also be so appreciative. And the other thing, too, is that we archive all of these shows, and we find that people, you know, actually do go back and listen to the various shows that we've done over the last long while, and those shows are available on our website. Two websites, actually, I'll give you angelrose.com and let me spell it because it's the Irish spelling for angel it's A-I-N-G-E-A-L R-O-S-E dot com and of course worldofempowerment.com and both of those websites people can go back and find the archives of our various shows and this one will be listened to way after we close the mics on this one today Jenny people will be listening to this and we really do hope and pray that they will get huge benefit from it but Angel Rose mentioned about in, in conclusion, she used those words. And many, many years ago, when I was dealing in the real, real depth and throes of my own grief, I came across a little quotation that I dug out specially for our conversation today. And it says, When we are sorrowful, let us look into our hearts, and we will see that in truth, we are weeping for that which has been our delight. Mm, I like that, Auntie. That's beautiful, Ahano. Yes, that's great. That's, that's and with that, we we do want to just do a very, very quick summary, as is our tradition. We spoke with Jenny today, Jenny Rose, about the very early signs of suicide and the dreams that she was having and the various messages from the other side, she spoke about learning disability that her son Clay had, the doctor's prescriptions of Prozac and the various other remedies that were prescribed, uh, her fears of the dark side, the ADAPT program that he went through and, they, and that uh, the changing of schools and the various stresses that young people encounter on their way and about being in line with our spirits and then the phenomena of the calls on the landline after Clay's death and those strange psychic connections and synchronicities that all came in, which were in lots of ways both scary and reassuring at the same time. And perfect. You know, how divinely perfect Divine those timing. synchronicities with your friend who passed and her being the one who helped your son over, you know, that is just kind of makes you think there's some divine order going on somewhere, doesn't it? Uh -huh. yeah. All right, 
we do have to close it there, Jenny. Thank you very much again, and blessings to you. And we will be putting this on our website by today. It will be available. So with that, thanks again. And until next Saturday at 8 a.m. Pacific time, we send you our love, our blessings, and thank you for listening to myself, Ahanu, and Angel Rose on the Honest to God series. And as we say in Ireland, Slán agus Benacht de Live Galair. This is Radio to Inspire Enlightened Living. You're listening now to the Honest to God series with Angel Rose and Ahanu.